Amen. Well, preaching to an empty building. Haven't done this in a while uh, as pre-recording this. Um, and we just prayed for marriages, which is a wonderful celebration. And I kind of hate to do this to people, but I'm going to switch to the scriptures where actually um, this, this, this chapter, Acts chapter 5, as we go through the book of Acts and we see how the Holy Spirit moves in the forming of the church, sometimes there's moments of celebration, like we just came out of it two chapters or a chapter ago, where uh, we see a man who's lame, who gets healed, and he's jumping for joy and celebrating, and miracles happen, but the problems still persist. Here, This is a fact of life, is that we go through highs, we go through lows. How are we going to manage the fact that, hey, there's times where we're celebrating, like we just prayed for marriages and uh, Pastor Liz's wedding celebration. Those are going to be a high moment. But then, you know, we always come down off those mountain peaks and then there's valleys as well. There's times of, that are hardship and there's times of suffering. And I feel often in the church, we talk about things like love, joy, peace, hope, those uh, uplifting things that we want in a faith community, that we want in our church, that we believe Jesus offers us and the Holy Spirit fills us with. But the question is, how do we handle when we come off those mountain peaks and we're descending into the valley? Uh, you know, we're familiar with the 23rd Psalm that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Because there are times where he lays us down in green pastures and he restores our souls, but there's also moments where we're walking through the valley of shadow of death and we're struggling. And I know my brothers and sisters in faith have struggled over the past two years. I know that even though I was praying for marriages a few moments ago, there are marriages that suffer and relationships that suffer. And there are people who've been through divorce and heartache and they suffer. And suffering is something we often neglect talking about. And I think more and more, as I've seen over the past two years, I've recognized that Everyone's suffering to some degree. The pandemic, it just, uh, it didn't really change the fact that we're suffering. It just, I think, brought an awareness to the fact that we can talk about these things as we are told to social, socially distance and spend time by ourselves. And we're going to talk, we, we had to talk more about mental health issues and uh, what it means to be lonely and in isolation during hard times. And and, and really, I think if, if you talk about the status of the church, the church, we've suffered in some, some manner because of that, where our gatherings have changed, our, our communication with each other has had to be through the internet, which has changed. And I know some people um, might find that more convenient, but the reality is there's a cost that, that is paid because of that. And we all are suffering to some degree. And some of you are like, well, pastor, those, that type of suffering is nothing compared to the suffering I've been through. And uh, to be honest with you, I've read some books recently where it uh, talks about people's stress and trauma and post-traumatic stress and the things that trigger those post-traumatic stress moments in people's lives. And, 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 and what I've come to an awareness uh, reading some of these books is that we've all, we all suffer. We all suffer to different degrees, and what one person suffers with, they might be able to get through a lot easier than someone who's suffering from the same thing, and yet the pain is much more substantial. 
And so this is where we have to uh, not judge people for the different de degrees of pain or suffering or weakness that people are going through. We all are going through life and we all experience pain differently. And like I said, in the church, we often talk about the, the, the moments that build us up. We like talking about being on the mountain peaks. We like talking about love, joy, and peace. But the reality is we need to develop a theology of suffering. I want to suffer well. I know that sounds uh, like an oxymoron. It sounds like uh, who wants to suffer well? But the reality is perseverance, patience, actually has to do with how do we handle when things don't go our ways? How do we suffer and yet still can cling to the hope that we have in Jesus? And so we're going to see this in, in the scriptures. We're going to see this in the apostles because even though the church is growing, even though they're adding to their numbers daily, even though they're seeing miraculous signs and wonders, and you could imagine that the church is filling up and it's a great experience and they're all feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. They're all being baptized in the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of the Lord is present and it's wonderful worship services and it's wonderful teaching. It's wonderful community and breaking of bread and, and, and sharing of their lives lives with each other, still there is suffering. Still there is hardship. But how did they handle this? And I'm going to give you the key. The key, I'm going to give it to you right up front. The key to suffering well is the Holy Spirit. See, as we've transitioned from uh, a few months ago, me preaching through who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives, and now we're in the book of Acts where we see the Holy Spirit working in the early church. The reason why the apostles could suffer well was because they had the Holy Spirit with them and in them. So let's see this in the book of Acts. And I'm just going to read through Acts chapter 5, and there's quite a bit of verses here, so bear with me. But I want to get through this portion of Scripture so we can continue to look at what the Bible has to say about how to suffer well. Then the high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Okay, so you can just imagine now. Uh, things are going well for the church. They're all excited for what God's doing. Miraculous signs and wonders. The church is filling up. And then there's people who are jealous. And there's always going to be people of jealous people. There's always going to be people against you. We have an enemy out there. There is a devil. Satan exists. Uh, there are people in this life who uh, follow. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. And, and even though we're all created in the image of God, and every human being has that, uh, uh, is an image bearer of God, the reality is some are dead in their trespasses and are not yet made alive. And even though the Spirit might be calling them, in the, and we talked about evangelism a few weeks ago where we believe that sharing the gospel with them so they can be invited into the kingdom is important, there are still going to be people who uh, are not yet aware of the glory of God and who actually are, and I talked about this, they're anti-theists or anti-Christ. They don't want to hear it, and so they're against us. And here we see in the scripture, the Sadducees, the religious people of that day, were actually the ones who were against the, uh, the apostles. 
and they were filled with jealousy. And so they arrested the apostles. And so, yes, things are going well in the church, but then boom, the leaders are arrested. The leaders are put in jail. Now the question is, how would you handle, how would we as a church handle when it looks like we're on the mountaintop and then boom, things come crashing, tumbling down. Sometimes it happens to us like the next day, right? Like we have a wonderful celebration or we have a wonderful moment where we we hear about some good news in our life and then boom, something bad happens. I see this in life often. I know in my life sometimes when there's an announcement of a birth, someone dies. When, when uh, someone gets a promotion, we know someone else who's lost their job. And it's hard to like, ah, how do I handle this internal struggle where things are going good and bad at the same time? And, and, and honestly, I'm more of an optimist. And, uh, and yet I know many people who, uh, when they hear the bad news, that takes them real down. And uh, one thing I, I, I have to learn is sometimes people don't want to get picked up right away. <laughs> you know, like being the optimistic, sometimes I annoy people by trying to tell them, you know, and put a positive spin on, uh, on life. But the reality is we need to be aware that everybody's at different stages. Just because you might be on the mountaintop, someone might be in the valley. And here, in the, uh, I could just imagine these disciples, they're, they're so filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet they're put in jail. There could be some who are like, oh no, now what are we going to do? Our, the apostles are in jail. This is a time of chaos. Uh, is the church going to survive this? These are our leaders. What's going to happen? Verse 19 says this, But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Boom, another high, another awesome moment. An angel shows up. Uh, We see in scripture where when angels show up, often there's a message that says, uh, do not be afraid because angels are actually, we, we, we envision like little cupids maybe sometimes when we think of angels, but they often have to say, do not be afraid because they're terrifying uh, and bring fear upon the people. It's a terrifying moment for them. And yet here the, the, the angel is telling them, go and tell the people the full message of this new life. Go tell them about what it means to be born again, what it means to have Jesus in their lives. Verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priests and the associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went on and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this, report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officials, officers, and brought the apostles, but they did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. 
God of our fathers, raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging on him on a tree. God exalted him at his own right hand as prince and savior, that, we, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When the Pharisees, when they heard this, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you have intended to do with these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Jesus, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus, Christ, Jesus is the Christ. I'm going to reread just that one verse, verse 41, because I find it so important. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Imagine that. It kind of blows my mind. Here they're arrested. An angel sets them free. Again, low, high, low. They get brought back. They're now in trial. They're like on trial. And Peter's like, I ain't going to stop. I'm doing this for God. God's calling me to do this. And who should I obey, God or man? And they're like, well, I don't know. Like if we, if we come against him, maybe we are coming against God. Maybe we should just let them go. We've seen other revolts happen in the past. And these men, when they were killed, everybody dispersed. Maybe we should just let them go. And if it's actually from God, then we can't stop it anyways. This is what this uh, man... Um, who was uh, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, said to the rest of the Sanhedrin. And yet, even though they're going to let them go, they still have them flogged. They still beat them. So not only do they get arrested, put in jail, spend a night in prison, get let go by an angel, saved by an angel, get brought back before the court, the Sanhedrin, and then get flogged, they still rejoice. Why are they rejoicing? Because they count, were counted worthy of suffering. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know too many people who rejoice when they suffer. 
Even myself, and I said, I'm a positive, outlooking, hopeful person, uh, I'm still a whiner and complainer. I still struggle. I still will moan and groan when things are hard. Um, and, and, and yeah, I want to be an example of who the apostles were. I want to follow Jesus the way they followed Jesus, but I don't know too many people. And I, I think it's important that we look, to, look for Christian uh, examples, mentors, uh, fellow disciples who love Jesus, who we can say, wow, look at how, and honestly, this is something the church, we struggle with. How do we learn to count it being worthy of suffering disgrace? How, how do we suffer well? Uh, Jesus talked about this. Uh, Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 5. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, you'll see Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, and maybe this was going through the disciples' mind when they were being flogged and they decided to celebrate their flogging. He said, Blessed are you when people, this is verse 11, by the way, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, I don't have this in my notes, but I'm, I'm constantly reminded, and I often quote James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, which tells us that consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And it goes on to say that, um, that those trials should be counted as joy because they cause Christian maturity in our lives. So, yes, it could be the words of Jesus who says, hey, listen, when we are persecuted or people speak evil against us, rejoice and be glad because our reward in heaven is great. Or it could be like James tells the early church, which is when you go through trials and you're suffering through a hardship, guess what? It's going to cause you to mature in your faith. It's going to grow you. You know, uh, it's kind of like my kids now, they're starting to grow. And I remember Joel being like, oh, I got this pain in my leg. I don't even know where it comes from. Uh, why, why am I, why am I, my, my, Muscles hurting. Well, son, you're, you're having some growing pains. It means you're growing. It's a good thing. And similarly, the way his body is developing and there's going to be a pain associated to that, very similar to someone who goes to the gym and they work out and they do a, 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 a few push-ups and the next day their arms are sore. Listen, we in the church, when we're going through something that we feel the pain, we feel the suffering, we can say, yeah. This is going to do something for me. This is going to produce something in me. And the early disciples understood that. They said, we're worthy of suffering for the name. That is the name of Jesus. They're like, yes, I'm suffering for a reason. There's a purpose behind this. And the, here's, here's something that's very important when it comes to how do we suffer well. We have to understand there's a purpose behind it. You will never suffer well if you can't see the purpose behind it. And I know sometimes we won't understand the purpose. Sometimes when people suffer, they're like, I just got to find out why I'm suffering. How is this going to help me grow? What is the reason behind this? Listen, don't worry about it so much. 
Don't try to figure out what it actually means. There's a part where we actually just have to trust God and believe that there is something that even if it's not now, because right, sometimes it is now. Sometimes there is a maturity aspect and we're going to grow in this life. But here, when Jesus is talking, he actually says, great is your reward in heaven. If you're suffering and you don't see the benefit, the positive outcome of your suffering, guess what? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on eternity. Fix your eyes on heaven because that's where things, where there is no more suffering. That's when you'll get your eternal reward. And all the suffering that you go through in this life will be worth it because you remain faithful to the God who loves you so that you can gain your eternal reward of heaven and a life and eternity with Jesus. So point number one is we need to understand there's a greatest purpose. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay? I want to read that part again. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So here's the reality. We are all weak. We all have moments of weakness. We all struggle. Like I said, we all have highs, but we all come down and have lows. So we all have weakness. But who helps us? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. It continues and says, We do not know how we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groans that cannot be expressed in words. So what does that mean? Listen, sometimes... We're suffering to such a degree, and you might be able to remember a time in your life. And and if you're going there now, forgive me for bringing you to that point, but the reality is the Holy Spirit wants to help you in those moments. So it's okay to revisit those past moments that you felt like you suffered the most, those most traumatic moments in your life, because we all have those moments where we remember the most pain. The question is, how do we overcome those? How do we see those moments, even the most darkest points of our lives, as worth celebrating and suffering well and rejoicing through. Well, those moments are probably the moments where we don't, even, we, don't even, we don't even have words that we could even pray through those moments. We don't even have words to express how we felt during those moments. You know, sometimes when we're at the highest of highs, you know, you want to describe a, a moment of ecstasy, a moment of joy, a moment of passion to someone. You, they say, how was that experience? And you say, I, can't, I don't even have the words to express how wonderful that was. Well, the same thing happens when we have the lowest of lows. I can't, like, you ask someone how they're doing, like, at a funeral, or you ask someone how they're doing at a a moment where they've had experienced some kind of loss or pain, like, you almost feel stupid. How are you doing? Like, I'm guilty of that. I've asked someone how they're doing at uh, weak moments. Of course they're doing terrible. Don't even ask them. It's not even worth asking them that. And in the same way, they don't even know how to express how that they're doing in those moments. We don't even know how to express that to God when we're suffering. Sometimes we just want to shake a fist at God and say, why? You ever been there where you're like, why, God, why? Don't have any other words but why or help. Like we see this in the scripture in verse 26. The Spirit helps us. We just cry out, help. Help, God, help. It's the Spirit who helps us in our weakness. It's the Spirit who will come in and pray for us. It's the Spirit who can give us hope in the most darkest moments. It's the Spirit who helps us suffer well. So point number one being, you need to know that there's a greater purpose. Point number two, even if you don't know that purpose, reminder, point number two being, it's the Spirit who helps us in our weakness. We need to cling to the Spirit 
See, some people, when they shake their fist at God and say, why? They, they're doing it in rebellion against God, and they actually say, I don't want to know God. I don't want anything to do with you, God. But really, when we might be sh- wanting to shake our fists at God, really, there should be an attitude of surrender and say, God, I need you. Help. Uh, I, I might not have much to say, but all I know is I need you. I need you. Help. We sing songs. Lord, I need you. Because we've all experienced these moments of suffering where there's nothing else to say but God help me. And the Bible says here that the Spirit himself intercedes with groans that cannot be expressed in words, which means the Holy Spirit will provide the answer to that prayer when we can't. When we have nothing to say, he will fill in the void. But we need to cling to him, the Holy Spirit. Last verse for today. So we have... Understanding the purpose, we have the Holy clinging to the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, I'm going to read verse 8 because it makes a little more sense. Three times I pleaded the, the Lord to take it away from me. Actually, might as well read verse 7 to give even more context to it. Verse 7 to 9 reads this. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. In other scriptures, the Bible actually tells us when we are weak, he is strong. So here the Apostle Paul is is crying out to God because God didn't want him to become conceited, he believed. He kind of saw the purpose in his suffering and and he knew that God was trying to keep him humble. And yet he has this thorn and a messenger from Satan. And we don't know exactly how he was being tormented, but there was something in Paul's life that was tormenting him. And he knew that the Lord was allowing the enemy to, to attack him. And sometimes we feel like an attack in the enemy, of the enemy in our lives, and we're like, God, why? Why are you allowing this? And the answer is the same answer that God gave to the Apostle Paul, which is, my grace is sufficient to you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What does that mean, my grace is sufficient? First of all, grace is the gift of God for eternal life. The free gift, the unmerited favor of God upon your life that you don't deserve. That's what grace is. So we get the gift of God, eternal life, God's grace that we never deserved. We were sinners, he saved us. He loved us even while we were yet in our sins, Romans 5 verse 28 tells us. And so here we are sinners, unworthy of God's gift, and he still gives it to us because he loves us. He loves us so much, he says, I don't care how messed up you are, how screwed up you are, I'm going to love upon you, and I'm going to pour my love upon you. That's God's grace. And this is what... God tells Paul is that that grace is sufficient for you. That's all you need. Sufficient means it provides everything that you need. You don't need anything more than that. So even though you might be suffering, even though you might be going through pain and turmoil, the gift of eternal life through knowing Jesus, having a relationship with God through the Son, to know that the Holy Spirit fills you is enough to know that you have eternal life and that you can have communion with Almighty God, Heavenly Father, is enough. That grace is enough even in our weakness. But then it goes on to say, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is actually what gives us. It's our weakness is where God shows up in power. 
Do you know what this means, church? This means that God can use you most when you are at your weakness. Weakest. So if we develop a theology of suffering, that means that God shows up in our lives in the most powerful way, not when we're on the mountain peak, even though we might feel him. You know, uh, we've all been in those worship services where we're like, yeah, Lord, I don't want to leave this moment. This is the best moment of my life. You know, we're, like I said, well, this weekend we're going to be celebrating uh, Pastor Liz's wedding celebration. It's going to be an awesome moment. And, and, and that's why we, uh, expensive photographers are, are, uh, are hired so that the, the photographer can p- capture that, those moments and, and we can put them on our walls and we can say, what a wonderful, beautiful day that was. Celebration of love, wonderful. But the reality is God shows up even greater, more powerfully when we're suffering. And so the disciples are arrested, put in prison. God shows up. They're brought back in front of the Sanhedrin and accused uh, 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 of doing wrong, even though they've done nothing wrong, and false accusations we can f- make us feel terrible, and yet Gamaliel gets up and speaks and says, if God's behind them, we should let them go. God showing up in their life. Then they're flogged anyways, even though they're released, and, they, and God gives them the power to keep going, even though they've been beaten, and they celebrate in joy. Why? Because God shows up. Even though they're weak, God has perfected his power in their weakness. So point number three, how do we suffer well? We understand that God's power is in our suffering. We need to see God's power in our suffering. So point number one, again, was that we need to see the greater purpose behind our suffering. Point number two is that we need to cling to the Holy Spirit in our suffering. And point number three, is that God's power shows up in our suffering. If we can get these ideas and these principles in our lives, when we're at our lowest of lows, I believe it's not just like we have to turn on a personality trait to be more positive, and that's how we'll suffer well. Listen, I'll be honest, I've tried that. That's not how we suffer well. We suffer well when we see the purpose, when we cling to the Holy Spirit, and when we receive his power in our greatest moments of weakness. Listen, church, I I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I believe more suffering is ahead for the church. When I I read my Bible, I, I, I see situations where the church isn't a friend of the world. Uh, where they're opposed to each other, where they come against each other, and where the closer and closer it gets to the second coming of Christ, the more likely the world will hate us. And Jesus warned us about that, and Jesus wanted to prepare us for that, but Jesus didn't want us to just suffer for no reason. He wants to grow us. He wants to Help us see his glory. He wants us to rejoice in our suffering. Suffering because other people are putting that upon us or the enemy is putting that upon us doesn't mean we have to suffer in our spirit. doesn't mean how we have to suffer in our relationship with God. We can actually have the, the greatest moments of victory when it looks like we should have be experiencing 
experiencing our greatest losses. And if we have our greatest losses in our past, we can ask God to turn those moments of loss into moments that we can celebrate because of, we can see how God moved in, in our lives. Now, I don't know how that always works out. We all have different stories, and we all have to journey with the Lord and ask the Lord to speak into those moments of pain and suffering. But I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do that. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to pray over those moments in your life. Even if you have no words to express how much pain you've experienced in your life, the Holy Spirit wants to come and lift you up and give purpose behind that suffering, give power in that suffering so that you can live the life that God intended you to live, so that you can live for his glory and his namesake, and that your relationship with him would be greater than before. Let's pray together and believe that this is God's purpose in our suffering. Lord, we see in Scripture how the apostles were arrested, were beaten, and yet, as they were suffering, they counted it worthy of celebrating being beaten, being arrested, arrested and imprisoned, being have false accusations against them. Lord, I feel like in North America, we have so many wonderful freedoms as we've just come past Canada Day at the point that this will be put out to the church. We are thankful that we can sing, God, keep our land glorious and free. But Lord, help us not take those freedoms for granted as the world opposes your name as Satan comes against those who claim to follow Jesus, I pray that you would help us know how to be strong, have your strength, have your power in our weakest moments. Lord, when we're persecuted, help us to consider being blessed. Lord, we pray not only for ourselves to learn how to suffer well, but we pray for those who are currently suffering. Lord, I want to pray for the persecuted church in this moment. Lord, there are many Christians who suffer worldwide in places where they don't experience the same freedoms that we have. And so, Lord, we pray that you would lift up those people who are suffering, that they would count it worthy of suffering for your namesake, and that they would see that great is their reward in heaven because of their suffering. And Lord, we want to join them in their suffering in prayer, Lord. And Lord, if we ever are counted worthy of suffering here in Canada for our faith, help us to know how to stand up and count it as joy. Lord, this is a tough prayer to pray, but I pray it, Lord, that you would equip us to know how to see that your grace is sufficient even if you don't take away our hardest moments. Even if we're going through the most extreme trials, would you be enough? If, if all of the things in this world were to come at me at once, like the uh, Old Testament man Job had come against him, would our relationship with you, the grace that you offer us, be enough? But Lord, we need to cling to you, Holy Spirit. Lord, we cling to you. We ask that you would speak to those darkest moments, that you would speak to our pain, that you would bring healing into our life, that we would be able to celebrate. We thank you that we can call upon you, Jesus. We thank you for everything that you bless us with. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.